0: Welcome to EurekaNet, I'm Will Davis, the rhinovirus. Or rather, the rhinovirus has me.
1: And I'm Leah. currently incubating the same viruses. Thanks.
0: We come to you this week filled with snot and also full of science. So let's get started with a whole bunch of wasps. Wasps? Wasps. You might have seen, if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter, that I was recently on stage in Bristol talking about wasps and how terrifying the world is for them. But in good news for wasps, 15 new species have been discovered with names inspired by all elements of human culture, from literary fiction to outer space.
1: And when we say outer space, we mean Star Trek, because I think people forget sometimes But scientists are the biggest nerds gigantic nerds Nerds. and indeed one of these 15 new species to be named Phanuromia Odo was named after the changeling from Star Trek Deep Space 9.
0: Meanwhile Mark Twain gets a look in with the species Phanuromia Princeps and Pauper after his novel The Prince and the Pauper. There are a few other new species as well including five wasps whose scientific names all translate to Helmet, in three different languages, Greek, Latin, and Old Norse, because apparently it looks like a knight wearing a helmet, and I don't know if you've ever seen a wasp, but I wouldn't want to see one of those on a horse.
1: Imagine people-sized wasps that no. could ride horses.
0: No, I won't. Imagine. No. On a similar note, I a giant terrifying face which I'm sure would eat me if it had the chance. Tyrannosaurus, have you thought of them lately?
1: I haven't, actually, which is odd because usually I think about dinosaurs a lot.
0: Well, I've got good news for you because a new cousin of T-Rex, discovered in Montana, apparently had a fantastically sensitive face. Apparently this giant lizard had the same kind of tactile sensitivity as we have on our fingertips, but all over its face.
1: And it is, in fact, the same sort of tactile sensitivity as crocodile faces have. They use their snouts to investigate their surroundings when they're in murky, muddy rivers. The researchers involved have compared fossils of Despletosaurus horneri, this tyrannosaur cousin to modern crocodiles and alligators, to come to this conclusion that they had sensitive faces but, importantly, no lips. Can't teach a tyrannosaur to talk.
0: Or play the kazoo.
1: They're missing out. I mean, admittedly, it couldn't bring the kazoo to its mouth anyway because of the tiny arms.
0: You know, seals have the array of horns up in front of them to go honk, 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 honk. honk. Like that, but with kazoo's for dinosaurs.
1: But you would have to find some dinosaurs with lips.
0: Well, if I were looking for dinosaurs... A good place to start, apparently, would be in Montana, where there are just plains upon plains of dinosaur bones all over the shop.
1: Because the Rocky Mountains are full of Cretaceous-era rocks, which are constantly being eroded by rivers, weather, humans, and revealing their dinosaur secrets.
0: And the researchers attribute the fantastic sensitivity of this dinosaur's face to the trigeminal nerve which bestows apparently lots of sensitivity and lots of species.
1: They've listed several of the things the trigeminal nerve has developed into in different creatures, such as magnetic fields that birds use to migrate, the infrared pit organs that pit vipers have, and the whiskers that many of our mammalian cousins use to find their way around.
0: Even turning the elephant trunk into the sensitive hand, similar to what they think has been done with the entire face of this Tyrannosaur. And on a similarly evolutionary note, research from the University of Adelaide is going back to the very beginning of how we wound up with maybe as many species as we have now in the sexiest way possible.
1: Or rather, not the sexiest way possible. This is a story about the reasons sexual reproduction developed and became a winning strategy for species survival and. In case you weren't aware about the history of sexual reproduction, it didn't start off with putting one thing in another thing and waggling it about, but did in fact originally take place in, I believe, about six billion years ago. I may be wrong on that. And instead of exchanging whole gametes, as most multicellular organisms do now, Little packets of DNA back and forth, mix those up, and get a little bit more variation involved. It's it's all a lot less exciting when it's a single cell doing it.
0: And even back before that, you have asexual reproduction, which is, I mean, effectively cloning.
1: Yes, and asexual methods of reproduction produce less variation than sexual reproduction does without one very important factor, the risks and effort inherent in sexual reproduction, because just cloning yourself takes a lot less effort. If you don't have to find a mate, it's a lot less effort. If you don't have to fight with other people to try and win over that mate, it's a lot less effort. And what this research suggests, it's based on a computer simulation model, is that the factor that makes sexual reproduction worth the effort is disease.
0: Because as much as asexual reproduction can make a lot of yourself, if you are not introducing the gene variation that you get through sexual reproduction, the intermingling of genes, the production of new and interesting ways of expressing those genes, you get a lot of very well-adapted opportunistic infections who are very, very good at very, very quickly finding the exact niche that they need to occupy to make the most of you. I say this as a man currently full of snot.
1: And, of course, those viruses are a particularly good example of the sort of disease that our evolution has had to get as speedy as it possibly can to combat because rhinoviruses, like flu viruses, mutate spectacularly quickly. That's the reason you get one every year, maybe a few a year, because they're constantly mutating and... Your immune system can't recognise them.
0: Something described as the Red Queen theory. Apparently that pathogens, including bacteria, viruses and parasites, are continuously adapting to us, and we constantly have to evolve to become resistant to them.
1: Which provides plenty of opportunity for new mutations and new genetic expressions that you can only get by recombining DNA in sexual reproduction, one of the advantages of sexual reproduction over asexual reproduction is instead of just getting one mutation at a time, you can build up a lot of mutations in a population very quickly, you can exchange them, you can create individuals who have multiple mutations which might affect each other in lots of interesting ways because genetics is never as simple as they told you at school.
0: This is described as the Hill-Robertson interference. And Dr. De Silva describes this current theory of co-evolving to try and get ahead of diseases and pathogens and also bring about beneficial mutations, neatly bridges the Hill-Robertson interference and the Red Queen theory to give us where we are today.
1: So thanks, Sex.
0: The biology just keeps on happening with research from Lund University led by neuroscience researcher Ulrika eglund Johansson which is taking the lab bench doctrine of science of growing things in floating tissue cultures and appending it, or at least making it a bit more waggly.
1: There's a lot of limits to growing a tissue culture in a flat glass dish. For example, brain tissue tends to form itself into layers when it's grown flat in a way that is completely unlike how it appears in a living organism, but... The team at Lund University have taken the idea of trying to develop a three-dimensional structure for more natural cell cultivation, and have used a method called electrospinning to make structures that honestly look like a pile of spaghetti to help grow their tissue cultures.
0: And the biophysicist Frederick Johansson, who works with Ulrike Johansson's group, says... You can let the fibres form a tangle with many cavities in which cells can grow, like a ball of boiled spaghetti. But if you, for example, want to get the Neurite to grow in a certain direction, you can make fibres form parallel lines like straight, uncooked spaghetti. And the press release here does describe this as a metaphor that is easy to understand.
1: Which is exactly what we like. Thanks, guys. Using this more naturalistic structure for cell growth will provide tissues which are more useful for testing drugs on, and in case those tissues need to be used for transplants, as is happening with retinas currently.
0: You can read more about these big spaghetti lumps in the journals Nanomedicine, *Journals of Biomaterials and Nanobiotechnology, and Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience. Speaking of useful models, the zebrafish is an animal model that has been fantastically useful in aiding the understanding of human genetics in seeing how making small changes to DNA can affect the growth of an organism, affect its development, and a lot of those genes have correlations in human genomes. And it's been tremendously informative in understanding how to influence cell growth, cell division, and the different mutations that lead to diseases in people.
1: And it turns out they're going to be useful in investigating human psychology as well, because zebrafish are... Social animals who derive noticeable benefits from being around their friends.
0: This press release is titled, Fish Also Need Friends. And the results published in scientific reports show that a shoal, a collection of social fish, uh, has a decreased fear response and a prolonged exposure to threat, and that having social support in these situations doesn't even depend on the shoal size. You just gotta give them some comfort.
1: The brain activation pattern under these circumstances in the fish is very similar to what has been found in the same circumstances in mammal models. So hopefully the zebrafish is going to help us with working out all sorts of weird things about human socialisation, improving our mental health, and generally looking after the human as social animal.
0: And then from helpful fish we move on to the danger of cows.
1: The danger cows pose to our environment, and indeed, the danger the environment poses to the cows.
0: And this research, coming from the Royal Botanic Gardens in Kew, reveals an important discovery regarding the use of plants to feed livestock, in that plants growing in warmer conditions typically tougher and have lower nutritional value for grazing livestock, such as cows, which will in turn lower the amount of milk and meat that you can harvest from these animals and increase the methane released by them, meaning that All of the effort and energy that has been put into grazing cows in the deforested jungles of South America is twice as bad.
1: The impact that a rainforest has on fixing CO2 is honestly negligible compared to the activity of algae. The carbon budget for a a rainforest is pretty much... Evens either way. But obviously cutting it down does release a lot of carbon in a way that leaving it there would not and then you put farty cows on it.
0: Eric teeting.
1: Oh sorry, burpy cows. <laughs> Did you know that cows mooing is actually burping? That's a cow fact.
0: You're blowing my mind right now.
1: That's a cow fact.
0: Wait, so is it voluntary? Do they
1: I mean I think it's partially voluntary in the way that, you know, if you burp it's not usually like just happening to you like a sneeze would.
0: That's entirely how I burp. I have very little control.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But You know, you feel the burp coming on and you go, oh, okay, burp time.
0: Or in this case, moo.
1: Exactly.
0: And Dr. Markley, a research fellow in natural capital and plant health at the Royal Botanic Gardens Kew, who led the research, says that the vicious cycle we are now seeing is that ruminant livestock, such as cattle, produce methane, which warms our planet. This warmer environment alters plants, so they are tougher to digest, so each mouthful spends more time in the animal's stomach, producing more methane, further warming the planet, and the cycle continues. Which, I don't know if I ever saw... cows As, the no, what was really gonna drive this
1: home. And the researchers have produced a real nice set of chloropleth maps showing the regions where methane produced by cattle will increase to the greatest extent as a result of reductions in plant quality as per temperature predictions for 2050. And the researchers are hoping that this is going to provide the information and the motivation necessary to counteract this with global meat consumption increasing and global temperatures increasing something's gotta change
0: speaking of climate change one researcher from the university of lincoln adele langwa is hoping that it might be a useful starting point to frame future discussions on how an international legally binding agreement on human clothing could be established
1: Currently, we have the UN Declaration on Human Cloning, made in 2005, which prohibits all forms of human cloning in as much as they are incompatible with human dignity and the protection of human life. But that's... that's real vague. And lots of UN member states are not happy to sign up to that wording. So, since 2008, UNESCO has had a working group made up of members of its International Bioethics Committee to discuss the issue.
0: And Del Langlois highlights the successful framing of climate change and business ethics as topics requiring ongoing, consistent international development and acknowledgement rather than just the small, brief, very formal discussions that have been so far around cloning to really just change the way that people are talking about it, to change the way that delegates from wherever they are coming from are approaching this in an open, discussive manner, rather than clipped brief acknowledgements of, yes, we won't do the clone.
1: Except there's a lot of applications where human cloning would be very useful.
0: Absolutely, for all manner of diseases you can use, there's essentially a very simple model of human tissues called an organoid, which exhibits not just the same cell behaviour that you would have in smaller cultures or just tissue cultures, but can function as its own small organ. Really useful for developing therapies against cancer, uh, neurodegenerative diseases, and going forwards if you're looking again at transplant then
1: there is hope that people will be able to have personalized genetically identical organs grown to replace their faulty ones
0: and if the conversation about cloning does need to change to reflect the ongoing developments in technologies and the tremendous benefits that could come around
1: currently the talks are often focused on short formal discussions within committees and langlois recommendations suggest a move towards a much broader, ongoing style of discussion, which brings in really anyone who could be considered a stakeholder in the issue.
0: And maybe there's something that Adele Langmar can learn from the research from Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research, published in Science Advances, in which, in a class of 154 undergraduate students at Yunnan University, they were given the Prisoner's Dilemma as an experiment uh, set up in which... We have two participants pretending to be on trial, where if one testifies against the other, they benefit. If both testify, then both get high fines, but if both do not testify, assuming the same behaviour of one another, then they both walk free.
1: This setup was modified to allow mutual punishment when a pair who didn't cooperate meet each other later, and the participants underwent these interactions anonymously and Anonymously, which apparently is a word, but I would never have thought of that. And they are given the choices to cooperate with one another, to defect from one another, or to punish one another.
0: They do note that in this new version, if one of them dobs in the other, then they get to exact a punishment on them later.
1: And Marco Giuseppe, who is co-author of the study, says, We found that when participants knew each other, this significantly increased the frequency of cooperation, which paid out very well for all. So, winners play nice.
0: It's really summed up in the uh, description of this press release. When people know each other, cooperation is more likely than conflict.
1: And the researchers have suggested, since the spirit of cooperation that social cohesion is based upon is crumbling away in some places, be it on Facebook or in societies that are about to be torn apart over issues such as immigration, we sought insight into what enhances cooperation. The intent is to further explore the states between complete anonymity and knowing someone very well, figuring out what degree of mutual recognition is needed to promote this cooperation.
0: Just how much do you have to care about someone before you do something to help them
1: out? If you know you're going to see them again. Like, the majority of people will go, if I've got to like sit opposite them at our desks the following morning, that's enough reason to help them. Probably, most people would take less than that.
0: I can only hope.
1: We can only hope.
0: And our next piece of research from the University of York is also banking on the threat of punishment. Listening to Justin Bieber.
1: In fact, this wasn't supposed to be a punishment in the research, which is investigating whether captive chimpanzees enjoy music. At all. Ever. And
0: apparently, they don't. Be it Beethoven or Bieber or anything in between. Dr. Emma K. Wallace from the University of York's Department of Psychology went about playing them a uh, chimpanzee jukebox, she describes which enabled chimpanzees at Edinburgh Zoo and National Centre for Chimpanzee Care, Texas, the option to choose whatever music they wanted to listen to. And um, they didn't.
1: They would rather listen to silence than anything else, pretty much. There is some research which has suggested playing music to captive lab chimpanzees has positive effects on their welfare and lots of zoos will play music to the primates as a form of enrichment. Turns out it might not do anything at all.
0: There's certainly other means of social stimulation, like just having a strong working bond with the zookeeper. You might have seen the video of an orangutan being shown magic tricks, which is delightful.
1: Dr Wallace mentions recent work that's been done with zoo-housed orangutans who were unable to distinguish music from digitally scrambled noise. She does note that While there didn't seem to be any positive effects from playing the chimpanzees' music, it didn't seem to do them any harm either. But then goes on to mention the possibility that music appreciation is something that is a uniquely human trait. Which is odd, because there's a hell of a lot of videos on YouTube of parrots dancing.
0: I mean, yeah. Birds. Song. Birds. Song. Birds. I'm sure there's something to that.
1: It's not necessarily musical, though, which I think is what's confounding that...
0: Well, moving from research that is genuinely a bit of a surprise, we move on to research that is not at all a surprise.
1: Researchers find video games influence sexist attitudes. Have you, um, have you done any online gaming in the last few years?
0: Not, not as much as I used to now.
1: It can be pretty misogynistic out there.
0: I'm just not sure if this one really takes any more talking about. The more time you spend playing video games, which, especially the ones they describe, like Grand Theft Auto 5, in which you have no female player characters, the only females that you really interact with are there to either betray you, be your wife, girlfriend, sex worker, or assassination target.
1: Well, it is important that people are looking into these things and getting the numbers, because these are exactly the kind of dudes who won't believe you when you say, My experience of dudes who play video games is that they're sexists. They'll go, prove it. I don't believe you. Numbers. So here are the numbers, you guys. It is worth noting that video games have got less of an effect on sexist attitudes than apparently religion does. But more than TV, the influence of television appears to be completely unrelated to... Incidents of sexism. There's no suggestion as to why this might be because obviously TV is being created out of the same culture as video games are.
0: But it comes with a certain distance.
1: Yeah, I'd suggest that the the fact that in a video game you are participating can account for at least some of that difference. As well as the fact that video games are still assumed to be a male-dominated pursuit despite the vast amount of data Showing that just as many women are playing video games.
0: and There's no mention in this study as to how much of this video game time is spent in online communication with other players where just the echo chamber of boys and men playing games, if one of them starts spouting sexist ideology and no one there particularly wants to decry it then it only gets, if not unchallenged, it will grow to be accepted and by the time that you reach surveys like this, they're looking at teenagers aged 11 to 19 asking them a woman is made mainly for making and raising children then what you end up with is well this meanwhile our next piece of research from north carolina state university is dealing with a topic which i think is very important today but also in general and something which we would hope to be able to encourage our listeners to participate in it's that you know you don't believe everything you read
1: Yep, this study has compared the belief in pseudoscience of three groups of students, one group who are taking a psychology course that doesn't include any specific critical thinking teaching, and students taking two history courses, one advanced and one standard, which involve explicit instructions in cultivating critical thinking skills.
0: So taking the non-critical psychology group as a control... The two groups who deal explicitly with pseudoscience and identifying logical fallacies were given just a quick survey and assessment to judge their beliefs on pseudoscientific claims on a scale of 1, not believing in it at all, to 7, being, I strongly believe, looking at, for example, Atlantis. You know, do you believe in Atlantis? Other topics, such as the belief that 9-11 was an inside job, not addressed during the course, but it is hoped that by developing critical assessment skills for things like Atlantis, then students will be able to carry forward that kind of critical thinking into modern conspiracy theories.
1: And the results bear out that for topics they'd specifically covered in the class, they'd dropped an entire point on that belief scale, and they had dropped by a half a point on average for topics that they hadn't covered in class.
0: Not as pronounced, but there is still some advancement on taking those skills that you learn and applying them to other scenarios. And if you want to hear more about that, then you can find the paper, Explicitly Teaching Critical Thinking Skills in a History Course, in the March 20th edition of Science and Education.
1: But moving on, but remaining on the topic of teaching and how to help kids grow up into functional adults, the journal Child Development is publishing a study which suggests that specifically engaging youth on ethnic and racial identity can be a very positive development choice.
0: And this is The Identity Project developed by Adriana J. Umanya taylor Professor of Family and Human Development at Arizona State University. They describe it as a universal health promotion program designed to provide adolescents with tools and strategies to explore their ethnic racial backgrounds and develop a clearer understanding of what those backgrounds mean for their lives and contributing to their self-concepts.
1: There has been past research showing that adolescents who do more to explore their ethnic and racial backgrounds tend to adjust better in adult life and develop a clearer sense of what this aspect of their identity means for them and the benefits have been shown with adolescents of pretty much every or racial background you can think of so african-american asian-american latino native american and european american that's white people in case you were wondering the article mentions that demographic projections suggest that white youth will not be a numerical ethnic racial majority by 2020, so that makes ethnic and racial identity important to consider among all youth, but I'd argue that being aware of and considerate of your own position as a white person in America would be, you know, a healthy thing to do anyway. A Good way of helping you to help other people as well
0: and contextualize your place in modern society. So this study involved 218 14 to 15 year olds, some of whom were involved in the identity project, others in a control group who were part of classes involving training and education options after high school. So there was you know, some development benefit for them as well. They weren't just twiddling their thumbs. After the project had run its course over ten weeks, two weeks after the finish, researchers found that the youth involved in the identity project had increased their exploration of ethnic and racial identity significantly, whilst the controls had not. So again, this is a kind of education that can carry forward, apply to not just the psychology classes from the critical thinking study, but inform your development and attitudes toward a much broader context in your life, in in your culture.
1: They did check in with the students again after 18 weeks to find that the increases in exploration amongst the identity project group predicted a significantly higher likelihood that they'd then be able to clarify issues related to their ethnic identity in that later survey, which youth in the control group, again, didn't get.
0: And Amania Taylor, who led the study, notes that, Exploring one's identity during adolescence may provide a foundation for better long-term adjustment as a function of increased self-reflection and understanding of how one fits into the world. Got a few more quick ones just to drop your way, including that researchers find that sweet and interesting e-cigarette flavours are linked to the use by youth and young adults.
1: Which is unfortunate because the sweetest e-liquid flavours are the ones which turn into formaldehyde, which you're then inhaling. So um, an e-cigarette might be not quite as bad as smoking, but it's still not great for you. They're also looking at advertising, which I th- I'm fairly sure would be a different situation in the UK, because like with cigarette advertising, I'm fairly certain e-cigarette advertising is not um, allowed on television in the UK, whereas I believe it still is in the US. <laughs>
0: It's not just still allowed, but there has been an increase in 250% of TV advertising, reaching more than 24 million adolescents, according to this report, between 2011 and 2013. And the shocking revelation that a little vigorous exercise may help boost kids' cardiometabolic health.
1: Now, this is part of a study which is comparing, for example, a... 10-minute period of high-intensity exercise to, for example, a half-hour walk. The trouble with this press release, as we've got it in front of us, is it doesn't agree with itself. The results which are quoted in the study mention a large number of biomarkers for cardiometabolic risk, They measured blood pressure, cholesterol, triglycerides, glucose, insulin and have found that when they're looking at the brief periods of vigorous physical activity, they're getting very good results related to the waist circumference and insulin measures and basically no change for anything else. Which can happen. The trouble is that at the top of the article, The press release says, Facing light-intensity physical activity with brief periods of vigorous exercise may provide significant cardiometabolic benefits in young people with relatively large waist measurements and elevated levels of insulin in their blood. Whereas the quote pulled from lead author Justin B. Moore says...
0: The results suggest that substituting modest amounts of vigorous physical exercise for longer-duration light exercise may have cardiometabolic health
1: benefits. So those are the opposite. Mm. Those are literally the opposite. So it'd be nice if they could agree on this between whoever wrote the press release and the lead author of the study.
0: Did they just not talk? Or did someone just get a sentence the wrong way around?
1: I mean, it's possible it's just ambiguous wording.
0: It's not very ambiguous as Well, says, it
1: could be, it, you can read it that the vigorous physical activity is the substitution, but it doesn't read like that on first glance. Which is why we've picked this one to talk about, because it's an issue in science reporting that people have not been clear and accurate with what they're saying, and so it's being misread.
0: Speaking of, in a quantum race, everyone is both a winner and a loser. So with that quantum conundrum in mind, that's all we've got time for this week. If you do have any ideas, suggestions, questions, then you can find us on Twitter at Eureka Nerdcast or send us an email at eureka nerdcast at gmail.com.
1: That's eurekanerdcast at gmail.com. We will be forever grateful for any reviews, likes, and subscribes you can give us on Facebook, Twitter, all our channels. Search for Eureka Nerdcast and you'll find us.
0: Or head to eurekanerdcast.com where you can see video of me shouting about wasps. And that's goodbye from me.
1: And goodbye from me.
0: Which is scarier to you? An elephant with a dinosaur on the end of its trunk? Or a dinosaur with a face covered in trunks?
1: Dinosaur with a face covered in trunks, obviously. Like a big
0: honking Medusa.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's that's appalling.
0: Yeah, the other one would be kind of faintly adorable if you imagine the silhouettes of elephants in the setting sun over the savannah, and they raise their trunks up to the sky and go... (coughs)